This week on the show, we have Asia BSDCon 2023 trip report for you. We also show you how you can convert an X201 ThinkPad into a Snaptop because that uh, article actually did that. You can also get streaming from your OpenBSD desktop audio to other devices and various ways to do that. The Gnome and its secret place and what this is all about, TTY load and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 510, the BSD's laptop, recorded on the 24th of May, 2023. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow, find online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in one way or the other, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. And we thank you in advance for that. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Welcome, we are... Here with fresh headlines this week, like pretty much every week we have been recording for over 500 episodes. And this one is giving a trip report from Asia BSDCon 2023 that was back in uh, early April of this year. And it's on the FreeBSD Foundation's blog. So remember, uh, the FreeBSD Foundation sponsors developers if people apply for a travel grant and um, as a kind of a reciprocity there the people who are given such a grant they uh promise or they uh, are obliged to write a trip report and this is one of them by chi sin chang hopefully that's the correct pronunciation but nevertheless uh, let's hear what uh, the report says so that goes may 4th 2023 i'm happy to report my recent attendance at the dev summit at asia bsd con 2023 the FreeBSD Foundation generously sponsored the trip, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to attend. Thank you, FreeBSD Foundation. That's me, not the trip report, but I guess that will come later. Um, here we go. At the Dev Summit, I had the opportunity to present a talk on the status of the OpenStack on FreeBSD project. I was excited to share our progress with the community and discuss some of the challenges we faced along the way. The presentation was well received, and I received valuable feedback and suggestions from other attendees, which will help us improve the project further. Overall, it was a great experience to be able to share our work and collaborate with others in the, in the community. In the Q&A session of my presentation, Richard Yao uh, provided some tips to investigate the nested virtualization issue of Beehive that I encountered. Also good, that's why we do these conferences, right? This advice was beneficial and will save us time and resources as we proceed with this project. Excellent. One of the significant challenges we faced when working on the project was that there were no Linux bridges and network namespaces that the OpenStack Neutron heavily used in the FreeBSD world. Um, I got a chance to discuss this with Christoph Provost. I gained more confidence about the next move in the network porting part by asking and discussing with him. We aim to solve this with the counterpart solutions in the FreeBSD world, PF for IP tables, VNet for Linux namespaces and ePair for VEthernet or VETH. This conversation was invaluable and will help us make progress on this critical aspect of the project. I also had the opportunity to meet with a speaker from the UPB who undertook the OpenStack Nova porting task. During our conversation, I learned previous experiences about what could be the obstacle in front of the project. This informative conversation will help us anticipate potential challenges and develop solutions. Day one of the paper session started with a great talk by Mike Chu, 
I've been in the cloud industry for years, mainly working on the Linux world, and I'm interested in similar tools, solutions, and even ecosystems in the BSD world. Mike's talk showed us the missing puzzle of the container ecosystem in FreeBSD, i.e. the capability of building, managing, and distributing FreeBSD containers. After the presentation, we had a chance to have lunch together and discuss the philosophy of FreeBSD jails and Linux containers. It was a fruitful debate. Hey, great! Okay, there were a lot of Beehive sessions on day one, and I attended most of them. It's nice to see Beehive has such a rich feature set. It also reminded me that the current implementation of the OpenStack on FreeBSD project only integrated the essential functions of Beehive. There is still a lot to be done in the future. On the last day of AsiaBSDCon 2023, I attended two different sessions hosted by my fellow students from university talking about VTIME and WTAP. Both showed incredible potential to contribute to FreeBSD and I was astonished by their solid knowledge of kernel development. I had the privilege to discuss their impressive work face-to-face -to, -face to learn how they got to where they are today. It's interesting to know the non-tech background of the developers. Okay. Overall, my attendance at the Asia BSDCon 2023 was a valuable experience. I was able to present the current status of the open stack on FreeBSD project, learn from other experts in the field, and gain valuable insights that will help us make progress on this important project. Wow, great trip report. That certainly sounded like a lot of progress has been made, and, well, future things are now decided, or at least know uh, the direction is clear. Yeah, and, and both these technologies, the VTIME and WTAP, were presented at BSDCAN, which I was trying to figure out if we're pretending <laughs> hasn't happened yet, because... <laughs> there will be presentations. We recorded 5.12 at BSDCAN as a live show, which you should listen to if the audio is any good and it ever gets published. Um, but yeah, I was trying to figure out, but then I see we have an article later from, from Michael about BSDCAN, so it's fine. Yeah, they were both presented at BSDCAN, so there should be videos soon. I didn't make it to either oh. session, because I went to other sessions. It's um, a difficult choice every time to which go to because a lot of them are in parallel, uh, but there are recordings. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for single track conferences. You never miss yeah. anything. <laughs> There's that, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Next up, we have a blog post by, you know, I just looked up your name and then I forgot it immediately. Um, wait. Wait, I'm going to do this. Um, Brian Taunt um, at bt.ht, uh, converting my X201 ThinkPad into a slab top. Oh. I recently wrote about physically disabling the Wi-Fi toggle switch on my X201, um, which was a fun hack to an annoying issue I was running into. Since then, the laptop has been running flawlessly. I can't remember if that was the article where they rewrote the firmware or if that was somebody else. Um, the only minor issue I had was the poor quality display. The screen works perfectly fine, but the X201's age prevents it from being the best possible display for day-to-day -day tasks. Both the resolution and viewing angles are quite poor, which is something, you know, a lot of old ThinkPads have trouble with, and I always thought it was funny people would recommend them in comparison to MacBooks, because MacBooks have great displays and ThinkPads didn't. Sorry. Uh, Brian continues to write, so what are the options to remedy this problem? Swap out, swap out and upgrade the laptop's display. Not many options for this, though. Connect an external display, keyboard, mouse, and dock the X201. Someone else. Looking into something else, I found that possible replacement screens weren't worth the cost hassle to swap out. And setting the laptop aside, docked with external peripherals sounded fine in theory, but then I would be missing out on the X21's uh, amazing classic keyboard. Then I thought to myself, why not remove the display entirely? So that's what I did. And this is a picture of a 201 display. 
severed from the machine. Removing the entire top lid was easier than I initially thought it would be. The beautiful thing about these old classic ThinkPads is the ability to completely disassemble them. I won't go into heavy details on how to take one of these machines apart since great documentation already exists. But once you have the keyboard and hinge screws removed, it is essentially as easy as lifting out the old chassis after disconnecting the small display connectors, of course. Ditching Alpine for Debian. I love Alpine Linux. It's normally my go-to distro paired with DWM for the for most of my laptop devices. Unfortunately, I find tiling window managers a slight pain to use on larger 4K displays. I want this laptop to just work instead of needing to fill around with Wi-Fi, XRandR, and audio, etc. Not to mention that Debian is rock-solid stable. Defaulting to XFCED was a no-brainer since this device is somewhat old. And there's a picture of it docked. It looks like a Commodore 64. It uh, certainly is interesting, yeah. <laughs> this laptop gives me those old school Commodore 64 vibes or more recent devices like the Raspberry Pi 400. The setup certainly isn't for everyone, but for my use case, it's working well. Traveling with a machine like this might prove a little more challenging, although it would simply pair with a smaller travel monitor. I'm sure car overall display would be similar to the X01. If nothing else, it's good to keep this option in mind if you ever break your laptop's display and don't feel like spending money to fix it. Just grab an external monitor you have lying around and make a laptop. That's really cool, and it is a good use of all technology. I wonder how the 201's performance compares to the Raspberry Pi 400. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> does it still make a decent desktop, or is the Pi outperforming it these days? I, I would be so surprised if a Pi outperformed it. I, I think it's, that's unfair, but... Yeah, and it's a different architecture. But the, the, like, the main question is web browsing, right? Because I don't know how much you can actually get done without a web browser today. You have You have to... Google things. So, yeah, email stuff, that's all. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. It certainly is good in the whole, you know, reuse stuff and don't uh, throw it away or repair as much as possible. So this might inspire some people. Yeah, and if you think about how small phones were in 2008, let's say, mm -hmm. like in terms of memory and processor, and we had reasonable web browsers then. Oh, yeah. Web, I don't know, like... So, can somebody write the article explaining why web browsers don't run in less than a gigabyte of RAM? Because I think that would really help it, me understand. It the just, we went the wrong way at some point. We just, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I get it for lots of things. Like, I understand that web pages are complex, but they don't all have to be. Yeah, putting a whole, like, PDF rendering engine in there and file browsing abilities and whatnot. I don't even know what's lurking in my browser. Yeah, so at least compiling that whole stuff is a whole adventure in its own sense. But we're veering away a bit. Um, definitely check out the article, and there's probably more uh, ThinkPaddy things on the rest of the blog. So check that out. Uh, jumping right into the news roundup this week, but not jumping into a swamp, but this one is actually from the data swamp. Uh, Saloon has been blogging again, and uh, this time it's about streaming OpenBSD desktop audio to other devices. So that sounds interesting. And the introduction reads, Hi, back on OpenBSD desktop, I miss being able to use my Bluetooth headphones, especially the shocks with a Z at the end, ones that allow me to listen to music without anything on my ears. Unfortunately, OpenBSD doesn't have a Bluetooth stack, but I have a smartphone and a few other computers. So why not stream my desktop sound to another device with Bluetooth? Let's see what we can do. 
I'll often refer to the monitor, quote unquote, input source, which is the name of the input that provides, quote, what you hear, unquote, from your computer. Uh, while it would be easy to just allow a remote device to play music files, I want to stream the computer's monitor inputs, so it could be literally anything, and not just music files. This method can be used on any Linux distribution and certainly on other BSDs, but I will only cover OpenBSD. That's certainly fine with us. The different solutions. Uh, first is, or 2.1 is IceCast. One simple setup is to use IceCast, the program used by most web radios and ICs, a companion program to IceCast in order to stream your monitor input to the network. The pros, it works with anything that can read awk from the network and serious audio client or web browser can do this. It's easy to set up, you can have multiple clients at once, and it's secure. IceCast is the truth and other components are sending data or playing music. The cons, though, are there is a roughly 10 seconds delay which prevents you from watching a video on your computer and listening to the audio from another device. You can still set one second offset, but it's not constant. Okay. The other con is re-encoding happens, which can slightly reduce the sound quality if you're able to tell the difference. Then the second option is SND IOD. The default sound server in OpenSD named SND IOD or SNDIT supports network streaming. Too bad if you want to use Bluetooth as an output, you would have to run SND IOD on Linux, which is perfectly fine, but you can't use Bluetooth with SND IOD even on Linux. So no SND IOD. Between two OpenBSD or OpenBSD and Linux, it works perfectly well without latency and it's a super simple setup. But as Bluetooth can't be used, I won't cover this setup. The pros, it's easy to set up and works fine. The cons are no Android support. Okay. Third option is Pulse Audio. This sound server is available as a port on OpenBSD and has two streaming modes, the native protocol TCP and RTP. The former is exchanging Pulse Audio internal protocol from one server to another, which isn't ideal and prone to problems over a bad network, the latter being more efficient and resilient. However, the RTP center doesn't work on OpenBSD and I have no interest in finding out why. The bug doesn't seem to be straightforward, but the native protocol works just fine. The pros here. Almost no latency, may depend on the network and remote hardware, of course, and it's easy to set up. No cons, but as you listened, there is uh, the thing that doesn't work. There, doesn't work on OpenBSD. Okay, fourth option, Snapcast. Snapcast is an amazing piece of software that you can use to broadcast your audio toward multiple other clients using Snapcast or a web page, with the twist that the audio will be synchronized on each client, allowing multi-room setup at no cost. Unfortunately, I've not been able to build it on OpenBSD. The pros, multi-con uh, or multi-room setup with synchronized clients, compatible with almost any client, able to display an HTML5 page. The cons though, playback latency and not so easy to set up. Okay, so now the actual setup uh, are revolving here around Pulse Audio. The client setup uh, on OpenBSD is basically you install Pulse Audio and FFmpeg packages. You also need to set SND IOD flags using RCCTL set SND IOD flags dash S default dash M play dash S mon, which will allow you to use the monitor input through the device SND slash zero dot mon. Now, when you want to stream your monitor's audio to remote pulse audio, run another command that's FFmpeg basically pipe to paycat with the IP addresses and uh, a couple of options for latency. The command is composed of two parts, FFmpeg reading the monitor input and sending it to the pipe, packhat pulse audio cat relaying the pipe input into the pulse audio server with some tweaks to reduce the latency. Uh -huh. Server setup 
is the device with Bluetooth. The setup is easy, but note that it doesn't involve any authentication or encryption. So please use this on trusted networks or the free VPN. On a system with Pulse Audio, you type PACMD, load the module, module native protocol TCP, auth anonymous equals one, auth IPACL, the IP address or the range. This will load the module accepting network connections with auth anonymous option is there to simplify connection to the server. Otherwise, you would have to share the Pulse Audio cookie between cook between computers, which I recommend doing. But on a smartphone, this can be easily cumbersome to do and out of scope. Okay. The other option is pretty obvious. Just give the list of IPs and you want to allow connect to the server. If you want the changes to be persistent, edit etc pulse uh, slash default.pa to add the line load module. That's the same that we just had in the earlier command. Okay. Next thing is in package install pulse audio, pulse audio dash dash start dash dash exit idle time 3600 and uh, run that same PACMD command. There's a project named Polstroid. The original project has been unmaintained for 13 years, but someone took it uh, back quite recently. Unfortunately, no APK are provided, and I'm still trying to build it. I should provide an easier user experience to run Pulse Audio on Android. Okay, so that's listed on the blog post. If you're interested, uh, GitLab repo, uh, maybe bring it back to life. Uh, Icecast setups are also provided. What else? Uh, this is bit smaller setup but definitely uh, all the things are provided here by Celine what to do uh, the broadcast part as well and at the bottom of the article she lists the limitations of course the setup isn't ideal you can't use your headset microphone or buttons using MPRIS protocol and she concludes with with these two setups you have a choice for occasionally streaming your audio to another device which may have Bluetooth support or something making it interesting enough to go through the setup. Uh, she's personally happy to be able to use Bluetooth headphones through her smartphone to listen to her OpenEST desktop sound. Going further, if you want to direct attach uh, Bluetooth headphones to your OpenEST, you can buy an USB dongle that will pair to the headphones and appear as a sound card to OpenBSD. Yeah, that without Bluetooth, uh, you're quite limited, but at least she found a couple options that would uh, do the trick. The, the USB dongle that Sully mentions at the end is for the Nintendo Switch, and you plug it into the Switch, and it comes up as a USB audio device, but it's actually a Bluetooth device, so you can uh-huh. use headphones with your Switch. And and JCS figured out that you could just run it on anything, because it just comes up as a U audio device, which is really cool, but I have no idea how you set it up. I don't know how you pair headphones with it. Because I, I looked at this before, because while FreeBSD does support Bluetooth audio, everything with Bluetooth and FreeBSD is just awful. So difficult. Uh, I totally, completely sympathize with OpenBSD for getting rid of it. Okay, yeah. next up we have an article from the uh, Unix Hysterical Society's mailing list, the GNOME and its secret place. And this is by Ooh. Matt G. I don't know who Matt G is. That's the full name we have. Uh, Matt writes, in the midst of my documentation research, I've done a little analysis on the life and times of this whimsical little phrase which appeared in the how to get started or bass inf section of the third edition manual, a derivative of the original login seven page. When you type to Unix, a gnome in the system is gathering your characters and saving them in a secret place. Aside from the wonderful imagery of the terminal interact driver as a little gnome, I found this line has some implications regarding Unix documentation lineage. This exact verbiage surprise survives in the research lines through the 6th edition and is slightly edited prior to the 7th. 
When you type characters, a gnome deep in the system gathers your characters and saves them in a secret place. The latter of the two changes holds with a trend over time of using progressive rather than continuous language. That aside, simple change of two Unix to characters seems simple enough, reduce redundancy and make it more clear what is happening. In the same breath, bass-inf was merged into intro. Checking the 10th edition man page sources in the source tree, this version seems to persist for the rest of the research lifetime. Peering across into BSD land, I had to pull a, cop uh, pull a paper copy for this one because I can't find the intro document in the tree. But it likewise has the same exact text. So this version also persisted through the remainder of UCB development period. When you start to look into other battle lineages, things get a little more interesting. Let's start with the MERT release zero. This manual was produced in October 1977 and has a GNOME message identical to that of the sixth edition manual. So presumably by this time, the old text could very well still be up in research. Unfortunately, we only have scans of this manual because I can't say whether this merge from intro or basinth to just intro has happened yet. Additionally, this may not reflect the case with USG program generic three, or any of those as the intro is one of those sections marked as modified from the USG manual. Next, let's check the situation in PWB 1.0, that's a programmer's workbench. To start, the intro and basinth documents have been merged into a document titled introduction, which may very well indicate that this manual page was at least reduced after the merge in the research line. And given this was July 1977, that's a case for MERT zero page likewise probably being a merged page. However, the text reads, when you type in unit, when you type to Unix, a gnome deep in the system is gathering your characters and saving them. So a different modification of the sixth edition text. We still have two Unix and the continuous is gathering and saving. What does change is we no longer know where the gnome is saving those characters. We've now lost the secret place. Research and BSD carry on knowing the real story and Mert Zero kept this intact as well. Taking a look further afield in the System 3 manuals originally produced in 1980, we see the same as PWB. A merged introduction, now just named intro again, and the same text, the 6th edition text, minus the secret place commentary. So whatever merges of documentation took place between PWB 1.0 and 3.0, it seems the updated text from the 7th edition was never picked up and the modified line persists through to that point. Checking forward, this text persists into the release of PWB 5. The, release, the first release of System 5 only changes Unix to the Unix system, consistent with the nomenclature changes throughout documentation in the PWB 5 to System 5 transition. Taking a little peek aside into yet another lineage, CB Unix 2.3 manuals circa 1981 likewise carry the same text and with the secret place removed. Unfortunately, we don't have any other versions of CB Unix manuals to compare with, but the specific page in question actually lists CB Unix 2.1 in the future with the date of November 1979. So the PWB-ish text in that lineage dates to at least that point. There are a few different vari variations circa SRV2 with the 1983 BTL version and the 1984 DEC processors version of the manual page changing the first bit to when you type to Unix system, whereas the 1986 HRW manual states that when you type to the Unix system, this is not going to come across on a podcast. So the the is dropped, system is lower cased, but then the the is added back between 1984 and 1986. Finally, there is one more variation on this line, the saddest one of all, that appears circa to System 5 or Release 3 material 1987. When you type to the Unix system, your individual characters are being gathered and temporarily saved. 
Pay no attention to the gnome behind the curtain, says AT&T, removing all whimsy from the equation. This persists into SRV4. Can't say what happens in SRV 4.2. I don't have one of those user manuals, but in any case, it's probably safe to assume Novell didn't resurrect the gnome. Just to review the strange and wonderful journey, journey our gnome has gone on, introduced in 3rd edition, intro and bassinth documents merged between 6th and 7th edition, Mert Zero takes the old text, PWB line takes old text and drops a reference to a secret place, 7th edition adjusts the text to drop Unix redundancy and use progressive language, PWB line keeps rolling with their modified text, CB Unix takes it up, or vice versa, can't conclude anything there. PWB to System 5 process converts most references of Unix to the Unix system. Along the way, the system is ultimately lowercase, the, 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 gets lost for a while and then comes back to the. AT&T finally removes the GNOME reference in SRV3 in 1987. Research and BSD keep the seventh edition text to the end. Granted, this is a very trivial detail, but one that does demonstrate some flow of documentation revisions and what sort of changes different groups were making to their documents. What, with research making changes to the grammatical style and the PWB then commercial line grew more sterile in this presentation over time. This then shows at least one instance of a lack of merging of aspects of the seventh edition documentation back into PWB line after the split of 1.0. Eventually, I hope to eliminate many more such areas through dipping historical analysis I'm performing. By the way, I believe a few list members have indicated at some point or another being in possession of... Yeah, now there's just a request for stuff. Um, the, reading this, it made me wonder why I have a book called Unix the Magic Garden Explained, because I've not read any of it. I want to know mm. why it's a magic garden. Is it full of gnomes? Could be. The question is uh, whether the gnomes will hand the characters back at one point. Yeah, and um, what if they drop the characters... Are these gnomes the same gnomes that now put pixels on the screen? Did they change jobs? Are they, yeah, uh, having multiple jobs, like a day job or something? So like, I... did, did they think pixels are much smaller, they'll be easier to deal with and not realize that, you know, they come like a billion times a second? Easier time to store or uh, place? It's a, lot, it's a lot of pixels to go through. Maybe the gnomes moved into graphics cards and that's why Unix doesn't need them anymore. Oh, that yeah, that could be it. I saw in the thread that ensured on the mailing list that Warner Losh commented is, I wonder if this is why the default root password on Linux is gnomes. <laughs> so, hmm, what's well, and, going and, on there? And like the final <laughs> question here is, did Beastie kill the gnomes? Right. Did he, his fork finally found willing victims or rest, maybe that's willing? what I mean. Maybe that's what demon, demons are for: punishing gnomes, keeping system gnome free to have characters back. Uh, you have heard it here first. Benedict thinks your system should be gnome free. Mm -hmm. Katie, all the way. <laughs> <laughs> Personal preference, of course. But what the gnomes can also do with those characters is presenting a little bit of TTY load to your screen, right? Great segue. So that's what we found here. <laughs> this is a bad, yeah, move on to the next piece, but hey, we have to work with what we have. Uh, TTY load is a Linux Unix BSD colored uh, graphical tracking tool for load average in a terminal. We found this on cybercity.biz, which has over the years many, 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 many articles and how-tos. Uh, this one goes, TidyY load is impressive color-coded graphics tracking of Linux Unix load average in a terminal. It works reliably on POSIX, Unix, Linux, BSD-based systems, uh, and all the many others. Uh, let us see how to install TDY load. So that's fairly easy. I guess people are easily uh, doing that on their own distro. Uh, their package manager will provide that, hopefully. 
and so you after you install that you can just run it using tty load in your terminal and it shows you you know what your system is doing is it mostly idling or is it crazy spinning up multiple processes and the load average going up or any other system activity causing that so you can press ctrl c to quit tty load you can alter the number of seconds in the interval between refreshes the default is four seconds and the minimum is one second so you can say tty load dash i let's bump it up to five or ten or whatever you can also turn on monochrome mode for those people who still have those uh, uh, monitors. In other words, no ANSI escapes for you. You can pass the M for monochrome option to that. And if you want to have a certain uh, color or row limit, then you can pass C uh, respectively R to it to see only a portion of it or keeping a smaller thing. I saw that the port TTY load on FreeBSD is unmaintained. So it's uh, if no one uh, is maintaining this port, it's going to well, leave the ports collection uh, one day or the other. And so maybe if someone is looking for some work to do and becoming a ports committer or at least updating that, that's maybe something to adopt, like a little TTY load here and there update might not hurt. I always thought those were empty threads. Um <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should take them seriously. Yeah, really, right? There are other tools like this, but hey, for some, you know, screensaver-like activity could be useful. Didn't didn't we cover a blog post in the last two years um, that showed how to show all of the packages in your system that don't have a maintainer? I think we did. I don't know if that was for FreeBSD or OpenBSD, though. I'm sure there's something like that. Yeah, I'm sure there is a command. It, it's just... Uh, ports at freebsd.org that's the maintainer and that means there's no one uh, behind that oh really okay that's sad okay next up we have um, a picture from reddit um, <laughs> by some some job the title of the picture is open indiana with sun microsystems 22 inch lcd monitor running on a 1.8 gigahertz quad core amd phenom 9100e processor 4 gigabytes of ram NVIDIA GeForce GT 630. And this, this is a picture, and this podcast is entirely an uh, um, audio medium. And so it's a picture of Open Indiana running on on that computer, um, I think on a little stand. It looks pretty cool. There's some interesting buttons on the front, all of which look like you shouldn't press them, and I would press them. And So it, it, it was so tempting, yeah. Just one more. <laughs> This is definitely a JT one. I have no idea of any of the context of this. He just wants to lure people to our show notes every week and <laughs> click on the articles that we have, right? I, I know it would be so much work, but if we could have chapter art, this would be the perfect thing for chapter art. But I'm, I'm not oh, asking yes. that we have that. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, it looks cool. Um, I don't know anything about Open Indiana. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 it's cool. There's a Sun web page there. Maybe it's, it's a PDF of a Sun thing. I guess there's listeners who will appreciate stuff. this. <laughs> Thanks, JT. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit more modern here is the cron support uh, for random ranges that is now available in OpenBSD. So Undeadly Org uh, tells us in the Not a Random Walk department that Todd Miller committed this. Uh, cron supports, or OpenBSD's cron more uh, precisely, supports random values in a range with a step value like from low tilde to high step 
in the cron tab entries. So the commit lock message goes support random offsets when using ranges with a step value in cron. This extends the random range syntax to support step values. Instead of choosing a random number between the high and low values, the field is, a, is treated as a range with a random offset less than the step value. This can be used to avoid thundering herd problems where multiple machines contact a server all at the same time via cron jobs. Yep. The syntax is similar to the existing range slash uh, step syntax that uses a random range. For example, instead of 0 59 slash 10, in the minutes field, 0 tilde 59 slash 10 can be used to run a command every 10 minutes where the first command starts in a random offset in the range from 0 to 9. The high and low numbers are optional and tilde, ten, tilde slash 10 can be used instead. And I think that was quite popular when that was posted on Hacker News, and I guess this will make its way into other operating systems. So, um, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm looking forward to... Uh, was that you, Benedict? That wasn't me. The, the randomness? Did you or chime? The... There was a chime. No. Oh, okay. You're hearing sounds? Yeah. That's, that's the jet lag, right? That, that can't anything normal oh I'm, I'm so tired i couldn't even explain it um <laughs> yeah alan really wants this to exist for slack uh reminders which i agree with because i want to put everything for tomorrow but not get 12 messages at 9 a.m um okay i spoiled it earlier in the show we have a blog post from michael w lucas where the w spells for what the hell man why are you doing this, this is a crazy idea um <laughs> and spoiled probably not in a way you expected and so uh michael writes BSD can 2024 reorganization. Dan has spent a good part of the last 20 years on BSD can. We've had other BSD conferences in the Western Western Hemisphere. I'm I, I, I'm I'm not sure you can have a Western. I think you can only have a North and South Hemisphere. I don't think Western Hemispheres work. Somebody That's would probably intentional. I, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I, I I've been corrected about this before, and I had a big argument about it, and. I, I mean, I'm on Michael's side, but I feel something like with knowledge of spheres would be able to help us here. Because um, like, if there's a Western Hemisphere, does that mean there's four hemispheres? How does that work? In any anyway. direction, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I got distracted. Um, we've had other BSD conferences in the Western Hemisphere, but BSD Canada is the most consistent. COVID interrupted it, but only because Dan coordinated with EuroBSDCon to have a single online conference in 2021. And in 2022, I think. Uh, 2020. I think we both chose. Um, there was an online one, yeah. In yeah, I, I went to. I spoke at it. I spoke at it. The, oh, yeah. The lost conference. I mean, you would know. The lost EuroBSD con. This is a lot of work. Dan's life has changed. Dan is stepping back from organizing BSD can. I am taking over coordinating BSD can. No, I did not say running. Running an international conference is a job best accomplished by a team, a large team. Dan set up BSD CAN 2023 with himself and Adam Thompson, and he ran it with assistance of Drew Levine and Warren Block in registration, and Patrick McAvoy and Andrew Fengler in streaming. I'm not nearly that tough. Instead, we have assembled a team of 17 people to be the BSD CAN 2024 operations team. Dan will become our source of knowledge, telling us who to talk to at the University of Ottawa, and where to reliably get t-shirts printed and which caterers are most likely to cause indigestion i'm pleased that adam drew warren patrick and andrew all cheerfully agreed to continue in their roles adam's work of coordinating travel and accommodation for the speakers will be split among a few people led by adam my entire job will be to coordinate the team help them gather resources and help mediate conflicts between them 
Uh, of Michael seeing, seeing the arguments already. Every person on this list is motivated to make BSD CAN 2024 happen, but even the best intentioned folks can disagree. If required, I'll make final decisions. Sure, but if my decision makes people unhappy, I have no doubt, no doubt that the esteemed program committee will tell me I'm being an idiot. They have final say over the conference after all. This means I need to be staunch on not doing anything myself, although I miss it. I might make a call to the Defen Bunker to see how much it would cost to host the closing social there, and to Pilly Pilly Chicken for a price quote to quote for a price quote to cater it. This is mostly for my peace of mind, however. Confirming it's too expensive will put the idea to rest. Or if it's affordable, you'll have to figure out serious vegetarian options. Yeah. Um, Organizing BSD CAN with two folks is a monumental achievement. I have 17, which I consider barely adequate for a redundant array of independent DANs. We'll have folks to handle a variety of smaller tasks from checking video times to hauling boxes. If you haven't hauled a box for the con staff, have you really been to BSD CAN? I intend to make use of the BSD CAN volunteers mailing list to gather those folk. Folks on our team can ask for specific help on that list, whether it be figuring out a bulky database or showing up at 7 a.m. daily with a roll of duct tape and a cattle prod. <laughs> Sorry, cattle prod, really? Hey, I don't know the details. Knowing the details would get in the way of me doing my job. I trust the various members to know what they need to, to what they need and to ask for it. And a cattle prod is one of those things. One thing the BSD community has historically excelled at is passing leadership from one generation to the next. BSD CAN's operation team will follow that example. We have old hands taking the lead on parts of BSD CAN, but we have at least two we have at least two people covering each responsibility, and at least one of them should be comparatively young. I don't intend to coordinate BSD CAN for more than a couple of years. My goal is to set up a self-perpetuating structure, make sure it runs, and walk away. Normally, I wouldn't take on anything like this, but BSD CAN is important to my people, and it deserves my time and attention. The BSD CAN 2024 goal is to largely re-implement BSD CAN 2023, but supported by different people. Yes, there's room to change things. Yes, I have ideas. Many people have ideas, but you probably have ideas. Our overwhelming goal is to make the conference happen. Perhaps that's unambitious, but extracting knowledge from Dan's head, documenting it, and re-implementing it will take time and energy. I don't want to burn anyone out. I intend to retain the location, the mask policy, the papers committee, the social event, everything until we have BSD down, BSD can Dan cold. Dan has done well. He's earned a break. We're drafting him to run the auction. Okay. You heard it here first, so 17 men on the BSD can chest. Well, that doesn't also work well. Um, so, yeah, we look forward to that. And uh, if you want to help out in any way, you don't have to be uh, local, I hear. You can also do uh, many things remote. Check out the BSD can volunteers list and ideally see you there in person. Right? And, and like the need for volunteers is going to follow the um, paper submission curve. They, they'll need more people closer to the event, but... We also need people really far away, just not as many. So there won't be as much call for people to help right now. But if you make yourself available now, you might get called on. So you should volunteer now. I, I don't think I came across. You should volunteer now, um, especially if you have expertise somewhere, especially if you know a brewery in Ottawa that wants to give away a lot of beer, because that would probably help. <laughs> yeah, and many things uh, are not uh, only done at the conference. There's many months before leading up to that, like, you know, getting things done organized and finding spots rooms caterers all that might be uh, done in the past but hey things could change as we've all been reminded in 2020 and so yeah definitely 
trying to help out earlier, like just getting the word out, hey, there is a BSD conference in Ottawa, Canada in May, June, whenever next time is going to be. So, yeah, that's what you can do. Another thing you can do is depenguinate yourself or depenguin me, which uh, we found is at the depenguin.me URL. And it's an installation instruction for dedicated servers from a Linux rescue environment where you can install FreeBSD, your current version. This one covers 13.1 because that was uh, the current one at the time this was written, but it definitely works in newer uh, versions as well. So what you do is uh, first boot into the rescue console. Uh, you need to be logged in as root so that you can do many more things than regular users. Prepare file path or URL of SSH public key. The second is then to download and run installer script. Yes, this involves basically w, w getting something from the web, change modding it to be executable and then just running it. But you can, since it's a shell script, look inside and see if there's anything uh, bad going on but it won't be so uh, you run this and you provide a authorized key path either a local one or um, on an HTTPS URL for example uh, they provide some example invocations then next is connect via SSH wait until the script reports SSH to be available it takes a few minutes then connect to it uh, here in this example, they use port 1022. Is that come some kind of obscurity, security by obscurity thing? Uh, but of course, later once you're in, you can change the port back to something that uh, is more to your liking. The SSH brute force scanners don't care where SSH ports live these days. Um, once you're logged in, you can sudo su to root without a password. You cannot log in as root, so that's what the SSH key is taking care of. And if you have trouble with the connection, wait two minutes and try again. Then the fourth step is install FreeBSD 13, or the higher version, what currently is uh, the current active version or on a rescue system, and choose your own adventure. So you can do using install BSD install, or you unattended BSD install process, or ZFS install, that's a separate tool listed at the bottom of this page, or rescue tools. So in four easy steps, you can depenguinate a uh, server dedic a dedicated server host that only offers Linux images and no official FreeBSD support. I, uh, cool. I, I don't know why you would pick a, a non-standard port number below yeah. uh, 1024. Um, yeah, cool. So, so n normally at this point in the show, we would go into your feedback and questions, but we don't have any feedback or questions. Uh, the, the well is dry. Um, and without your input here, we have nothing to talk about. And so we need you now, like wherever you pull over to the side of the road, stop. Mm. Uh, we need you now to send us a question. The question can be why, what the hell, man, what are you doing? Um, yeah. Or it could be longer. It could be something very in-depth, like what, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a question on the top of my head. You're going to have to think of one. But ask us a question. Ask us what Tom was thinking about, because then we'll have things to talk about here. And we, we do get a ton of value from these, and they help us figure out where the show will go. So write in to Benedict, what's the, what's the email? Feedback at bsd.tv. Maybe less dramatic than that. But that was, I thought I was getting <laughs> feedback from... from, from no, no, so it's that other voice I do sometimes, right? 
I, I, can't, um, I can't speak high enough pitch to do you. I'm sorry. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we occasionally get uh, questions. That what we uh, that's what we try to answer, of course, in future episodes as well as uh, blogs we completely forgot or ignored, uh, and we should uh, probably pay more attention to, or uh, things that you always tried to do but didn't work, and maybe need the help of other fellow listeners in case we can't provide the answer. Something like that, or your comments about BSD CAN conferences, whether you want to run your own or help run one, and anything BSD related or Unix in general. Uh, what what you could write into the show is uh, don't answer this, Benedict. You could write into the show and say and ask, what is what is debug, and what will it do? You could write in and ask us this question, and we'll answer okay. it if you ask us. I just wait for your answer to that, but that's a future episode for all of us. BSD Now is sponsored by Tarsnap. Everyone needs backups, and Tarsnap ensures that your backups are not only safe, but also secure. Your data is encrypted on your device before being sent to the cloud, so that only you have the ability to read your data. Tarsnap takes your data and works out what data is duplicated, so that bandwidth can be saved. It then assembles your data into compressed blocks, encrypts them with your local private key that never leaves your system, and then uploads those encrypted blocks to the cloud. So even if someone is able to obtain your backed up data in the cloud, they will not be able to decrypt it and access your files. Tarsnap is easy to use. If you can use Tar, then you can use Tarsnap. Tarsnap is prepaid, so you never have to worry about an unexpected bill. Tarsnap is fully open source, allowing you to inspect the code to make sure that it does what we say it does. Tarsnap also does bug bounties if you find errors in the code. With clients on all major platforms, there's no excuse to not have good backups. Go to tarsnap.com to learn more. Uh, this is the end of this current one. I hear that a couple people listen to this show even trying to fall asleep, and so... I say sweet dreams if it helps. Not not because of the content, maybe because of one of us, but we leave it at that. Uh, so wherever you are in your day, morning, midday, or late at night, see you next time. <laughs> we need we need to have occasional lullabies for people trying to fall asleep to BSD now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. But the question is when, I mean, when they wake up, are they still in the same place where they left off? Like, how do they know what they missed? When, when you when you fall asleep and wake up, are you the same person? No, we're not going to get into uh, no, really? undergraduate philosophy. We'll yeah. do something else. Um, and we'll stop the show. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>